Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo, welcome in to episode 127 of the House of L podcast. I am the L of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I'm super excited about our guest, someone that I've wanted to have on the podcast for a number of different reasons, and I was not disappointed in the conversation one bit. We will get to our conversation with Mina Kimes momentarily, but I'm so excited because we have a new sponsor that is joining the podcast, and I've been trying to convince Mazda of Orland Park that we should do something together for a while, and because they have incredible social. I don't know if you if you check them out, but they do all sorts of incredible social stuff on their Twitter account. And they're really wonderful with White Sox coverage. So I was like, man, we need to do something. Like, we should do something together. And if you want to follow them on Twitter, it's at ZoomZoomNation. If you want a really cool car buying experience, you should talk with the folks out at Mazda of Orland Park. ZoomZoomNation.com. Or you can call them, 708-444-3200. When you call there, be like, hey, Lawrence was singing your praises on House of L. He said I should talk to you guys about getting a car, and I'm going to do that. They're also the sponsor of, of my Loho recaps that I'm doing on Twitter. I'm also throwing – I have a lot of stuff going on. I also throw those up on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to the House of L YouTube page, I would love it if you would. That would be outstanding if you would. This has been a really interesting week for sure. This was the podcast that I was planning on dropping this week, the interview with with Mina Kimes. I was very much looking forward to it, but some things got in the way, namely all of the massive cutbacks that happened across NBC nationwide. And I was one of those who was laid off from NBC Sports Chicago. 
if you want the telling of that story, it is in episode 126. It's the entire episode. I talked about how the business is changing, how I, I don't have any anger towards the people at NBC and, and what I'm going to do next, which is kind of throw myself into what's happening with House of L, developing House of L, and doing some fun stuff with people that want to create with me. So I'm excited about that portion of it for sure. So let me tell you how this came about. Mina is one of the people I really, really like. If, if you know anything about me, you know that I love the Dan Lebitard show. And I kind of became hip to her listening to the Dan Lebitard show. And part of the reason is that there are a lot of elements of my radio show that I have absolutely taken from both Dan Patrick and Dan Lebitard. And so Mina is, she's fascinating. Like she's a fascinating human being, but she's also an incredibly smart and talented broadcaster. And I love her football coverage. And I'm glad that she's getting the opportunity now to, to do it at a super high level. The fact that NFL analyst is now next to her name is amazing for a lot of different reasons. It's amazing because she's a woman. It's amazing because she's an Asian woman. It's amazing because she's so young. It's amazing because she didn't play football. Those are usually elements that don't allow one to be an NFL analyst at this point in their career. Impediments that are in the way from keeping people to do it, but it shows you the type of grind that she has in her career. So anyway, she had posted something on Twitter because I follow Mina on Twitter. Anthony Davis had this peeking behind a door photo and Mina had tweeted when it's Friday night and you're waiting for the Saturday crossword to drop. So, of course, all of us that know about the Bears know that there's an iconic picture of Ryan Pace, Bears general manager, hiding behind the door so that the media couldn't see him. So I, I sent that out in the replies. I said, Chicago gun to Chicago. He learned it from Ryan Pace. A listener to both of us, Mike Hall, and I want to give Mike credit for this. Mike said, Lawrence, get Mina on the pod. And so I told him that a lot of times when I ask ESPN people to be on the pod, there are some hoops that have to be jumped through. And it's not always pleasant. Like Sarah Spain and I had to go through this, even though like we're boys. So we had to do that. And there have been other people too, like even Matt Bowen. Like it's difficult because me and Matt Bowen go back a ways, but there are things. So I hit Mina. Mina actually DM me and was like, you do a podcast? I was like, yes, I do. I do a podcast in Chicago. I have a lot of fun doing it. I'd love to have you on it, but I understand that there might be issues. We worked it out. She set it up. We got her on the schedule and we did an interview and it was dope. It's dope. I'm going to, I'm going to share it with you when I'm done rambling, but I just wanted to give Mike his credit because without him, it may have been weeks or months or years before I got Mina on the podcast. So a lot of credit to Mike Hall for making this suggestion. Finally, something good comes from Twitter and hanging out on Twitter. The House of L podcast outside of Mazda of Orland Park is also brought to you by 56david.com. My guy, David Hochberg, if you're 
buying a home or refinancing a home, call him, 855-56-DAVID, or the website is 56david.com. And as I told you with Mazda of Orland Park, tell David that you heard about him on this very podcast. Tell him that Lawrence said you can help with all the financials, because he can. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. Okay. Mina Kimes is now an NFL analyst at ESPN. She is going to be part of the crew of NFL Live. It is exciting times to see how the world has changed and that someone who is clearly worthy is getting an opportunity to to share all the knowledge that she has. We had a conversation about that. We had a conversation about how she made the jump from business reporter to ESPN personality. She's a fascinating case study, and I'm glad that she had time for my podcast. Episode 127, ESPN NFL analyst. Say it with your chest. Mina Kimes. We have a lot of crossover. <laughs> I, I was realizing that as I was going through some of your stuff. I used to do a radio show with Martellus Bennett. Oh, in um, Chicago? Yeah, when he was with the Bears. Oh. <laughs> we used to do... It, it was the most challenging radio that I've ever done in my career because you never knew what direction Martellus was going to go in. And the one thing that was for sure was that he never wanted to talk about football. Like it was that, always anything but football. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. Uh, his brother, Michael, likes talking about football a lot. Although, you know, he's become, I think, known in his own podcast is like about so much more than that. He actually just loves getting into X's and O's, which I always found really funny. Um, but I, I didn't get that impression from Martellus. No, like he, he, it was always a challenge. Like, cause I'd have everything prepared for like, Oh, well, here's what happened. And let's talk about Jay Cutler and let's do all this <laughs> stuff. And, and he'd be like, Oh, let's talk about this cartoon or let's talk about, uh, let's talk about miles Davis or whatever, like whatever was on his mind that day. It was, it was all often quite the challenge to, to work with him. <laughs> I, I'd love to know from from you, was business writing something that you really wanted to do or was it something that you were like, oh, well, I'm qualified to do this. Like, I'll just do this. I kind of fell into it. Um, in college, I was I, I accepted or I was accepted into an internship program at Time Inc. And then I was placed at a business magazine. So it was never an aspiration of mine. I don't think I even took economics in college or knew much about it. Um, but that internship kind of launched my career in business because I went on to work for that magazine after college and just kind of continued along that path for the next five or six years. So what was it like to prepare to write like that? Because I, I imagine like jumping into a world, you're trying to figure out who the players are, who are the people that you need to talk to? Yeah. How, how did you go about building up the confidence to be able to write intelligently about the subject. So I, I actually got my start covering investing, which is very useful because it's uh, in a way I was kind of learning about economics and the markets at the beginning, the initial stage of my career, things I didn't really learn in college um, that then proved to be the foundation for when I became an investigative journalist and did features on companies and investors and that kind of thing. I already knew 
how bonds worked and, and that kind of thing. And all of that stuff I just learned on the job, talking to people, reading books, reading the Wall Street Journal every day, um, just kind of figuring it out as I went along. I saw an interview with you where you were talking about having to change your reading diet once you moved mm-hmm. over to sports. How drastic was it to to go from taking in all the information that you were taking in on the business side and then trying to do that with sports? I feel like I can tell the story of my career through what used to be Feedly. Now I use Google Reader, but my RSS feeds that I use because at a certain one point in my life, it was all business and maybe some politics and news thrown in there. And then when I started working at ESPN, um, I still kept up a little bit with business uh, but you know, it switched over to following every sport, right? You know, I have my NBA feeds, my NFL feeds, my baseball feeds. And, um, eventually I just kind of stopped following. I just didn't have time to read the New York Times business section anymore. And then now I, you know, I, I'm, I have a new role at ESPN as an NFL analyst. So while I talk about all the, you know, every sport, I guess on, or on the horn and highly questionable, um, I'm migrating yet again to a more football focus. That is something that I try to work with students on where the class I teach is is a sports media class. So Mm -hmm. there are often students that think that, well, we're just going to sit around and we're just going to talk about sports. And really what I'm talking to them about is putting shows together. But there's always this panic that's like, well, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of sports where do I start? So I'll ask you, you clearly are a fan or you were a fan of sports, but for those students who have that anxiety, how would you suggest that they go about trying to learn what they don't know? Read, 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 read. I recently did like a work diary for the New York times and, um, you can't really say everything you do in a day, right? But because the truth is, so I was writing, you know, oh, I'm getting my makeup done, I'm going on television. What I left out, I include a little bit, but most of my day, I'm just reading. I am reading my favorite football writers. I'm or a combination of reading and going through statistics. Um, in some cases, you know, rewatching games or previewing games by watching tape but I spend so much time reading and if I was looking to break into a specific sport um I would read every not not just your beat reporters but you know I would read some all of the the I think there's some really really good work being done on football teams on blogs and you know team specific figure out who the really great writers are and um, and if you don't understand something, it's, it's almost like what I used to do with business journalists, take the time to figure it out. Like if you're reading an article and you're like, okay, okay, but you know, what does the robber do in a defense? You know, take the time, stop what you're reading, go figure it out and watch some tape or talk to someone or read something. And I think that process is probably the easiest or I guess the clearest way to being feeling comfortable talking and writing about a sport. And I always try to impress upon them, like, you don't have to have the entire history of Major League Baseball at your disposal. Like, I feel like start now and there'll be enough threads that can take you back to the historical stuff. It's just there. There's so much sports history that I think people Mm -hmm. are intimidated by 
well, I have to know what happened in Super Bowl 20. No, you don't. You, you don't have to. But if, if, if you want to know what happened in last year's Super Bowl, yeah, that's probably a great place to, <laughs> to start with with where things stand in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. It's figure out what's going on right now in the league and on the team that you're, you know, interested in covering or starting with. And then you kind of can work backwards from there. Yeah, it, ma- it makes a lot of sense to, to do it that way. It's so great to see the title NFL analyst like next to your name. Congratulations on that, first of all. What, what does that mean to you to step into a role that is traditionally given to ex-players? Um, I was just joking with someone because on NFL Live, I'm on Mondays, Tuesdays, Monday, Tuesdays and Fridays and Keyshawn Johnson is on Wednesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> and I wish I could go back in time and tell my like 13 year old self that, oh, you're going to be in the seat on some days. And uh, Keyshawn Johnson's very in there, um, which is hilarious. Um, I, it's great. I mean, I think that there is a level of a, a type, rather, of analysis and insight that comes from playing football that can't be discounted and is so valuable in um, like interesting and educational discussions about the game and you know studio analysis but I also think there's a lot of room for not just me but a lot of folks with all sorts of backgrounds people have come to the game by you know writing about fantasy football or doing analytics or um, being a reporter you know and I love that now sort of the NFL media beyond just ESPN I think there's more of an open-mindedness to a diversity of perspectives than ever which is great because I want to watch a show with a bunch of people who are approaching, you know, the stories of the day, the games, uh, the players differently because it makes for more interesting television. When you walked in the door at ESPN, did you even think that that would be possible for you to do? Absolutely not. I actually, I also didn't think I was going to be on TV when I started working at ESPN. So much less in in this capacity. Um, You know, I came on as a writer and didn't really start doing radio, which is like a lot of people, how I got sort of my start in the audiovisual side of things. Um, I think about two years after that. It's such a crazy thing to have happen, but I, I think it's great. So I, I covered the league for about 10 years as a beat reporter uh, on radio. And then I you know did other stuff and, and do a, well, I did uh, a television show for NBC Sports Chicago covering the bears after the the games were over. I always found that it felt very exclusive for a long time. And in Chicago right now, we're dealing with the fact that there pretty much isn't a person of color on the beat of the bears, which is strange because at the time it was, it was me. It was Michael Wright. It was Vaughn McClure, uh, Jim Rose, who's a longtime Chicago sportscaster I think it's strange that that even in a space now where that's that's people around the country are talking about being more diverse in their newsrooms that you can have the third biggest market in America not really have a lot of diversity covering it. How do we and and, and let me just say this Mina like I don't think that there was anything dastardly that went on like everyone that I mentioned got promoted out of covering the bears. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I know a lot of those names. <laughs> and I mean, like it, yeah. it's, it's the, their replacements though. The, that's kind of where things go. So how, 
how do we go about making sure that if there are people who succeed in these positions like mm-hmm. you, that the person that comes behind them is also going to be someone that might need an opportunity to show how good they are. I think it's actually not too dissimilar from the problem of, you know, diversity in coaching, for example, which is something I talk a lot about covering the NFL, which is you kind of have to attack it from multiple fronts. You have to be, and when I say you, I'm talking about people in power. Um, You need to be focused on not only looking at the pipeline, but also building it yourself and cultivating it, um, which is a responsibility I feel. And I know a lot of people I work with do, and this applies to diversity, not, you know, in multiple ways, right? Race, gender, background. And the other thing you have to do is be really, is be open-minded to the idea that folks with different types of experience and backgrounds um, can make the jump to do something new. And that takes work on the part of the institution, but it's something, for example, that ESPN did with me. I wasn't a natural choice to be a senior writer at the magazine. I'd never written about sports. I'd never even conveyed an interest in writing about sports other than a little bit of blogging and tweeting. And they had the creativity to reach out to me. Um, and again, that's, I didn't fall into their laps that, that, that took work on their part. And I think it's the kind of work that, uh, people at radio stations, TV networks, newspapers, magazines have to do, uh, cause otherwise, as you kind of laid out, you risk seeing those numbers go back to the way they were. Did you ever feel out of place in locker rooms? Cause you're a bit of a unicorn. Like, First of all, for a long time, there weren't a ton of women who were covering the NFL. And now you talk about someone from the Asian diaspora covering the NFL. That's also very rare. So there are two rare things that you're doing. Did you ever feel out of sorts? No, you know, I actually felt like there's more female reporters than obviously analysts, I think. And um, I think you see that teams and players are sort of more used to that, accustomed to it, I suppose, although you still get stories like what we just saw happen in Washington, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, you know, some of our best, absolute best NFL reporters at ESPN are women. I mean, I just had Courtney Cronin, who covers the Vikings, on my podcast, um, Mina Kimes show. She is fantastic. Uh, Lindsay Theory, who covers the Rams here in Los Angeles, has also been on my show. She's great. Uh, and I think now more than ever, as a woman, when you walk into a locker room, you you do not always, but you see other women more and and it does increase the comfort level for everybody. You know, just the fact that it's kind of become more normalized. I'm hoping it can become more normalized in other spaces, radio, uh, and then, you know, amongst analysts as well. But we're still, I think, in the early stages of that. Do you have any pressure of being a trailblazer in this regard? I think I would feel pressure on myself either way, <laughs> even if I was the 100th, uh, you know, Korean American woman to do this job. Uh, it's just kind of the way my brain is wired. But it's it's a lot of responsibility. It's I mean, I I worked with Michael Kim. Michael Kim and I did a show together for a couple of years in Chicago, and we often would talk about all sorts of issues. But he would tell me that at back then, like back in the 90s that mm. he did feel a lot of pressure of being one being the Asian face at ESPN. 
And often when whenever the conversation of race comes up in America, it's often figuratively and literally black and white. And there doesn't seem to be as much of a diversification in conversation about these issues. So he would tell me about how in sports that whenever he sees someone in the diaspora that even comes close to to looking like him, he gets excited. But for you, you know how the, the, the trolls are going to be. And you, I'm sure you've already dealt with this in people kind of checking your qualifications at the door. How do you handle knowing that there's a, a a lot of eyes on you for good reasons and the, the people that are rooting against you? I think this is something we all feel anyone who's in a, any sort of minority is that sort of level of pressure and that fear, I suppose, of a added standard um, and suspicion. You know, I kind of, and I, I, it's not even the, like, I don't suspect that people think I'm a fraud or a quote unquote diversity hire. I can go on the internet and read it every day. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, the mental, uh, the, the work we all have to do, and it is work, is compartmentalizing that and ignoring it and not letting it seep into the way we approach our business because it's not, it's a level of pressure that doesn't make us better. The kind of pressure that makes you better is, you know, the pressure you put on yourself, the pressure that people you respect put on you, uh, competition, not fearing that, you know, some shithead on the internet is thinks I'm a fraud. And so I think I've gotten better about ignoring it and, you know, and recognizing like legitimate criticism, for example, that's a really important thing that we don't talk about enough. How do you isolate real criticism from uh, like identity-based criticism? Nobody teaches you how to do that. What are the things you actually should care about? What it, you know, what matters? What are the things that you can use to improve on? It's something that I've had to put a lot of work into um, over the years because I want to, you know, respond to feedback and criticism and get better, but I also want to make sure I'm responding to the right criticism and feedback. Who do you go to that that is kind of your ombudsman when it comes to feedback? Um, you know, people I work with, people I admire, um, not random. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it sounds so it's so easy to say out loud, by the way, and it's so much harder to do in practice because we all let it get to us, except for maybe like Stephen A. Smith, who doesn't read his mentions. The rest of us all are affected. Yeah. I, Anyone who says they're not is a liar. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and searching for the people that are going to give you the feedback too, I think that can also be difficult because the people that support you want to support you. So there's difficulty sometimes we're like, oh, you know, th- that was a great show you did, Lawrence, versus, hey, I didn't like how you ended that last segment. Those are hard conversations for people that are in our corner to have for us when there is legitimate criticism to be given. Yeah. And then you don't want to be in a position where you never hear why you're what you're doing wrong and then just don't get that next opportunity or don't get invited back and you're not sure why. Um, And so, you know, yeah, you have to solicit it a little bit at times, something that I think people in our industry have, you know, it takes some time to learn how to do that as well. Um, But yeah, it's 
that what is this expression? Don't take criticism from anyone you wouldn't take advice from. I mm. do my best to practice it. I don't always succeed, but I do my best. I think that's a, a really good way to, to, to look at it. I love watching you and Pablo together because you guys are unapologetically Asian. And I, I dig that, that there's a space and people, for the most part, seem to jump on board with you guys sharing parts of your culture. Was there ever any worry that the audience was too homogenized to let you guys be yourselves? We are fortunate, Pablo, I'm speaking for him too, are fortunate enough to have collaborated mostly in spaces where a path has been clear for us. Um, spaces where I think people like Dan Levitard, who we work with a lot, have already um, built an audience and that has an understanding of the kind of um, conversation they're going to get, the kind of people they're going to get. Uh, and I know that sounds weird because you asked me sort of about us being Asian, but what I mean is um, he is unapologetically himself. He is vulnerable. He is willing to get weird, to get nerdy, to talk about things in unusual ways. And I think if you go on his shows, and there are other shows we do together, but and you also try to embody those things, everything else um, is so secondary to the people who are watching and listening. And and it actually, you know, gives us a great opportunity to not only like represent, but I think also like, you know, teach people about things they might not know or, or allow people to see things on television for the first time. And that's pretty cool. It is cool. I'm glad you brought up Dan Levitard. He's someone that I truly admire. And I do a solo show. So my show is loosely based. It's like a baby of of Dan Patrick and Dan Levitard, like that type of show. And one of the best compliments I got was from Jason Leisure, who used to be down there in Miami mm -hmm. and be on their show. When he came to Chicago to cover the Bears, he said, your show reminds me of that show. And I took it as a huge compliment. I agree with you about the universe building that Lebetard does when you're tapped on the shoulder to, to be on with him on radio. And then he taps you on the shoulder to, to come be on Highly Questionable and allows you to be yourself. How much does that do for your confidence that you're you're on the right path to, to getting where you want to go? You know, that thing I said earlier about like choosing the people you want to take advice from. Um, Dan Lovetard is probably the number one person that I can think of who's given me advice, feedback, confidence, praise, criticism, everything that I, you know, has played a huge role in my career. Um, so not only has, you know, him allowing me to be on a show and grow on a show and, and all that, I think given me confidence, but the engagement I get from him uh, has been integral to, for me, the development of my own voice. Um, and really, which, like I said, he's so himself that I never, it never occurred to me that um, people would be interested in not just what I have to say necessarily, but how I say it. And he has made me comfortable with that, all the flaws and idiosyncrasies that I don't have to be like a perfect polished package necessarily as an analyst, right? And that's something I've really taken to heart. Yeah, that's the, the, the imperfection of it. 
where you may have been on any other show where they're asking, they want you to come on and just give them straight NFL stuff. Like you're just there giving them a report where there are times when you've jumped on Levitard and you guys have never even gotten to, to the NFL stuff. That in type of environment in sports radio, since I've been doing it, that's kind of where everyone is trying to get to where it's just fun. And it's just, a bunch of people hanging out and sure sports is going on in the background. And I love that you and Pablo in particular can toggle where if the subject needs to get serious about whatever it is that we're talking about, you're able to do it, but you also don't mind playing in the sandbox with those guys and having some fun. I think another thing he's taught me that I really try to embody on my own show, for example, um, is that even if you want to talk about sports, which my own podcast, Mina Kime Show, is a straight football podcast. Like, if you don't like football, I cannot imagine you listening to it. It's pretty hardcore. Um, But it's also, you know, there's digressions. It's there's it's not polished. Right. And I think that's something I've learned from him, which is like, you can still love sports and want to talk sport. I talk way more sports than Dan, uh, you know, generally, uh, although he can, but you can do it in your own way and you can have fun with it because sports are fun and doesn't have to be a super straightforward, you know, by the book take or analysis or roster breakdown. You can sort of be creative and admit to your mistakes and, you know, tout your successes, your you know, takes or whatever. And um, that's something that I hope to bring to our NFL show as well. Let's talk about that NFL show. You you said that, look, this is weird that Keyshawn's on a couple of days. I'm on a couple of days and, 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 but it, but it all is going to, to, to work out. I, I imagine I, I'm very hopeful for it. I think it is changing things up in a really, really productive and positive way. So what do you want the viewer to get from what you do on NFL Live? I want the people who watch the show to find it very educational. I want it to be a really smart show. You know, and the people who I'm on with, um, Laura Rutledge, Dan Orlovsky, Marcus Spears, are really smart and have really interesting things to say about football. And so I'm hoping to be that we can have high-level conversations. But I also want it to be very clear that none of us take ourselves seriously. And I think that's... Um, kind of like my ideal form of sports television is, you know, analysis that takes the sport very seriously, but maybe not the humans talking about the sport. And I think um, they are a great group of people who share that same goal. So I hope, I, I really want it to be a des- like a destination for football fans um, because I'm a football fan still at the end of the day, I really love it. And I want people who really, really love the sport to feel excited after they watch it it's a delicate dance that you're that the whole crew is going to have to do uh in that regard I think it's the 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 way to go about doing it do you ever worry about hey you know ESPN is a in a show like that you're you're wondering if there's going to be football meatheads that are like this is not the show for me even though all the football-y stuff is there you just have to pay attention (laughs) to it you know, I've been really surprised by people like my pod, for example, it's, you know, it's mostly male listeners and I love that it's not all, but it is. And sometimes I see them, I see them like on Twitter or whatever. I say them when I have like live show 
And, you know, it, it's, I'm, I, I'm like, wow, that it's like a high school football coach in North Dakota. And he just loves it. And it, I would never would have thought um, some of the people who listen to it would listen to it. And I think people are a lot more open-minded than sometimes we give them credit for because we see the worst on the internet without realizing that actually like a lot of people are open to the idea of a, a podcast hosted by a woman and a dog because they're talking X's and O's, you know? And uh, so I, I think the audience for it should be pretty large and anyone who's immediately turned off by, you know, the c- kind of people who are on it are people that really don't want to watch it anyways. <laughs> Who are the people from a, a football standpoint that you immediately vibed with that like had the same type of uh, feeling about the game that you did? And you were like, oh, like you you did the Spider-Man meme and you're like, yes, yes, you and I are on the same wavelength. <laughs> um, you know, the people I have on my show a lot. I work a lot with Dominique Foxworth, who's a really good friend. And I just talk to about football all the time. Um, Bill Barnwell and Michael Jr. are two guys also who I talk to a lot, you know, and, and have on my show. And, uh, and I just have great conversations with them. And then Orlovsky who's on the TV show is someone I've gotten to know recently. And I've had, and I've really enjoyed talking ball with, and, um, I think he's going to be fantastic on the show. I think he is too. Quarterbacks are different, like because of the, their ways that they are able to view the game and how they see the game and their ability to process information. Whenever you're asking them for analysis, it's pretty wonderful when they when they open their mouths and speak. Yeah. Now it, it, he brings a really a, a, a certain element that I think would be missing if we didn't have a quarterback. I agree. I I, I agree <laughs> with you wholeheartedly. So, how were you able? Do you think that because you took the the left turn after college of business writing that it allowed you to? keep your fandom because I got to be honest with you Mina like after covering the league for 10 years growing up as a Bears fan it's gone like that whole thing for me is gone and it Mm -hmm. makes it makes me really sad that it's gone I still root for guys like I still root for players and I'm, I'm hoping the crop of players that I cover there's a couple of them like Devin Hester and Charles Tillman Lance Briggs who I do the show with I'm hoping that they get into the Hall of Fame so like I root for them but you seem to have been able to do the the dance that of I'm a fan of my team and I take shit sometimes for being a fan of the Seahawks. But I'm also an NFL analyst and I'll tell you if something went wrong in that game, I can do it dispassionately to prove a point. How do you do that? Uh, yeah, we'd, my job would be easier if I wasn't <laughs> if I stopped caring as much because it's not fun when your your team gets their butt kicked to then have to talk about it on Monday. Um, But it's funny when I was a reporter, I would root for my stories, you know, the best outcome for the story as an analyst. I mostly just root for being right. when I'm watching football Uh, while also, you know, trying to remind myself that if I'm wrong, I have to admit it and own up to it. Um, And as far as Seattle goes, I still am a fan, but I try to be honest with myself uh, and actually end up, I think, being more critical at times of the team. But um, I think people appreciate it. You know, so I, I know they certainly do in Seattle because it's, it's not a overrepresented market, uh, certainly on our network. But um, I, I think people appreciate transparency, you know, because 
a lot of people are still fans. They just don't admit it. I think you're right about being critical because that's how I am with the the White Sox. Like that's my baseball mm-hmm. team, and I go hard when I'm happy as hell when they win, but when they lose and it's something that could have been avoided, <laughs> like I usually go pretty hard at them to the point where you'll get a text message or a phone call from someone in the organization, like, "Hey, we thought you were a fan." Like I am, but I also do this for a living. So right. I have to be honest mm-hmm. with the people that that I'm talking to for sure. I, I, I know that we only got a few more minutes, but I just want to ask you about L.A. What was that experience like of of being there doing game analysis? Oh, for the Rams? Yeah. Um, it was the, the, the trip. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life, in large part because I had the chance um, to work with Nate and Andrew um uh, Brilson and Siciliano, I don't know why <laughs> first names, uh, who are just wonderful human beings. And um I'll, I'll, uh, for me actually it was interesting too because having not been a beat reporter, I've never been like embedded with a team mm-hmm. in that way. So it's really interesting kind of to see the inner workings of an NFL team. Um but it's just like a totally different muscle from being a studio analyst. So it was a lot of kind of cutting back to the beginning of our, of our conversation, a lot of learning on the fly, not the football part of it, but just the sheer, the mechanics of it were completely foreign to me. Uh, and I, and I, I love learning. So I enjoyed that. You know, it's a little scary sometimes learning in front of a ton of people, but uh, it was still a ton of fun. Do you think that that experience now will make you better at this job? Like did, was there a perspective change for you to be able to see it from that point of view? A bit, yeah, because it, I spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, if a, if a play happens, you know, what is a thing to say about the, you know, the the play? I'm gonna, especially in the context of preseason, which is again, it's very different from a regular season game where the context of the play, you're, you're more focused on the granular and the game itself. Whereas with the preseason, you're more focused on what it means for the team necessarily, the roster, because um, you're not really learning much from the play calling, you know, necessarily. Uh, so. I think I learned a little bit about sort of that portion of a team's schedule and thinking through, okay, the things that happen in August, what do they mean for the team, for these players? Uh, obviously not a thing that's happening this year, but um, a, a very educational experience nonetheless. Do you think we have football this year? NFL? Yes, I do. Uh, are we going to have a complete and finished season? That I do not know. I don't know how we're going to do college. Like I can't, I can't yeah. fathom it, you know, like the, the optic of a college football team and the college football players being the only people that are on campus. Like, I, I just don't see how we get over that. It's a it's a much trickier situation, especially since you know the decision making isn't centralized. I, obviously, the NCAA exists, but in terms of the protocols, all of the little details, all of the, uh, you know, tiny aspects of the schedule, all, all of it. Um, I think what we've learned like as a society right now is that centralized decision-making is really the only way you can mm-hmm. handle a lot of this. And, uh, you know, I don't know if the NFL will work. I think it's a lot, very likely they might be in a similar situation as baseball, which is probably the closest analog. But I do know that they at least have a centralized body telling teams what to do. And of course, a lot more money. They do. I was wondering if they would just abandon the United States. This was months ago. I was throwing out the conspiracy of just go to Europe, take the entire league to Europe and keep them safe. I wish, kind of wish they would have done that because I'm really worried about what happens over the, the, the next few weeks. 
I want to go back to Highly Questionable real quick. Um, that show looks like it's so much fun for you, particularly for you. I mean, clearly it's fun for, for Dan and Poppy and Bomani and whoever else pops in on the show. Is it as fun as it looks like it is for you? It's so much fun. And um, it, it's it's an edited show too, right? Obviously, when you watch it, it'll see, you'll see moments later or something. And I think that's part of why it's so fun, frankly, because um, they use so much of the stuff, the little moments, the inter, like the little interstitials, the conversations we have in between segments, the you know the roasting, and re- it all ends up in the show. Uh, and it's through that you kind of really see what our relationships are like because it really is just like if you ha- you're hanging out with your friends over a Zoom and then an editor picked out the funniest, best moments, you know, and, and turned it into a TV show. It, it, it's almost like improv sometimes with you guys. And it's so much fun to see that play out where it does look like real relationships and real ribbing, like the, like the way that friends <laughs> mess with each other. Absolutely. And it's a it's a playground for that. And I would not have it any other way. I, as a viewer of it and someone who's a, a P1 viewer of it, I say, yes, <laughs> that is exactly the way that that it works. So. How excited are you for this this next part? And what does little Mina think? Like when you were a younger and a football fan, what does she think about what you're getting ready to do? I, you know, it's such an abnormal season. I'm incredibly excited for our show um, and incredibly excited to spend all of my waking hours thinking and talking about football. But I would be lying if I said I didn't also feel anxious about this season, the way I feel anxious about everything these days. Hmm. Um, and I, I'm hoping to find a way to tap into simultaneously my love of the game and my excitement for the season, but also my awareness of everything that's happening around it, because that's going to, you know, the, the opt-outs, for example, ended today, but the fact that this pandemic is still happening is going to inflect everything we talk about in some ways as well. Right. And some uh, certainly things that happen in games and um, that's always on my mind, but I'm still, I couldn't be more thrilled to be doing this for a living. Um, I think if I was just to tell my younger self, she'd probably just wouldn't believe that, that was <laughs> my job, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can imagine that that is the case. Well, I wanted to thank you for this because, you know, you didn't have to do this. And I, I there was a little bit of Twitter pressure uh, that, that was applied by a, a fan of both of ours to, to put this together. But I'm glad that, that we did. Before I let you go, as someone who loves football, where's a place that you go for information that maybe someone doesn't have a grasp of? A place that you're like a little secret place that you go where you're like ah yeah i get good film here or this is a great follow or this writer is someone that people need to be paying more attention to Mm. okay well yeah i can recommend you know i i have a friend who's been on my podcast a couple times named steven ruiz who covers football for usa today i think he does a great job um and you know maybe he's a little lesser known than like a bill barnwell so I'll, i'll recommend his work um I think it's really good, although he seems to make Bills fans very angry. They seem to be. Me, 
they they're they're always on edge though, aren't they? Man, I don't know. That was Bears fans getting angry at me like two years ago when I said Mitch Trubisky wasn't good. Uh, don't hear a lot of that these days, but uh, no, don't. yeah. But uh, I th- by the way, I think I'm a little bit higher on the Bears than some people. So maybe why why are you anymore. higher on the Bears? I think the defense is gonna have a bounce back season. I don't think they're gonna be as good as they were in 18, but I think I have. There's a lot of things I like about them this year. I think. Hicks is such a, I just used this phrase, force multiplier on that defensive line. I think his presence there, I know the Goldman opted out, is going to be enormous. I like the Quinn signing. So I think that what you'll see is with that pass rush kind of getting back a little bit closer to what they were, the coverage will benefit a lot. I still, you know, like I, I God, what am I tweeting about someone? So was I tweeting about Jackson or someone being underrated? I don't know, but I, I like I like the defense. Um, the offense is kind of you know we'll we'll see. Well, <laughs> well, it's funny because you know I, I I did the show with with AB and and Lance and and Olin Cruz and Matt Forte, and we would talk about how in eighteen what you had was a pass rush that allowed this is this is what their analysis. I, I'm not claiming it as mine. Mm-hmm. Their analysis was. The pass rush was getting home. There was a, enough pressure being brought by Khalil Mack that the DBs could break on the ball. They never, ever, ever had to worry about a double move. That they were able to just go downhill and make plays, and Eddie Jackson then makes all these plays and ends up, you know, he's already close to the defensive touchdown record, which is amazing mm. for a guy at this point in his career. And then last year, or two years ago, yeah, last year, Two years Last ago, year, yeah, yeah the, they 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 didn't have that, and so the defense right. was fine, like they were fine, but they weren't getting the turnovers to the, at the same rate because those guys weren't comfortable breaking on the ball, and it's so weird that those guys said that, and then we there was the Detroit game on Thanksgiving where David Blau, the third string quarterback, is playing, and he gets Prince of Mukamara on a double move. And those guys are like, this is exactly what we were mm. talking about. Prince thinks that ball has to come out, and they're still playing by the 18 rules, and it it wasn't the case in 2019. So I think you're on to something. I think Eddie Jackson's pretty special. Like he's a he's, he's a, a special player. player. And he's and really good. And and when Ed Reed is name checking you, like that's <laughs> that's pretty badass when he's name checking you. Mina, this was great. Um, thank you so much for doing my podcast. I truly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So you can watch Mina on the new relaunched NFL Live. She's going to be in there with a uh, murderer's row of analysts. Marcus Spears, Keyshawn Johnson, Dan Orvlosky, Laura Rutledge, who has worked her ass off too to to get where she is. Laura's going to be hosting the show. This is going to be great. Ryan Clark's going to be a part of it. So they, they've got a lot of stuff that, that they're going to be doing on this show, along with the reporters that have made ESPN great in their football coverage. So congratulations to Mina. I think her win is a win for a lot of people who think that they may have never had an opportunity to do something like this, but if given the chance, they could kill it. And I expect that she's going to kill it. So big thanks to Mina on that thanks to our sponsors too homeside financial david hochberg yeah if you're looking to buy a home or refinance a home 
He's the person that you want in the room with you. 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. When you talk to him, tell him that you heard about him on the House of L podcast, the episode with Mina Kimes on it. It helps me. Help me help you. Help me help you. We love David and we love his support. His support and him kind of buying into this podcast has been significant for the next steps that these podcast this podcast is going to take. Hint, hint. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender in MLS number 1124061. So I'm going to do some experimenting. I know that we've talked about this before. It's already happening with the Baseball From Home podcast. That is Connor McKnight and Joe Brand's podcast that is inside of House of L. But they've got their own stream now. So if you would, and it's on Apple, I would really like it if you subscribe to their stream. Give them five stars. Go write a review. It's called the Baseball From Home podcast. Search for it. It's on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio.com. So, like, if you're listening to The Score, for example, on the Radio.com app, if you search, you'll find the Baseball From Home podcast. And you can just subscribe to it there, and then you'll get it. They do episodes twice a week. I'm going to do some NFL stuff. I'm going to, outside of, you know, the stuff that I'm doing at The Score, obviously, and and the Loho Daily podcast that I do for Radio.com, I'm going to do some NFL stuff here on House of L. Rejoice, rejoice. So later on this week, Brian Perez and I are going to do what I'm deeming like a pilot. We're going to do a little bit of football stuff and we're going to see if there's traction for it. And maybe we create something for Brian too, or at least give him an opportunity to have something to put in front of people if he wants to take his talents to South Beach or wherever, you know. But I'm excited. Like, I had the chance to work with Brian over at NBC Sports Chicago. I think he is smart. I think he is an underutilized asset. And I think that you will enjoy him. So he and I are going to talk football once a week. My goal is to have that episode of the podcast drop on Wednesdays. And Maggie Hendricks and I are talking about doing some stuff. We don't know what to do yet, though. I've got some ideas, but we're not sure what to do yet. But you can't have a voice like Maggie's and not having a place to put it. You got to put it somewhere, right? Maybe she and I, here's what we'll do. I think that she and I should initially just do an episode about Star Trek because we're both giant Star Trek geeks. I like that idea. So so book it. We'll we'll uh I'll figure out the day when I'm gonna drop that too. Maybe that's on Mondays. Starting to fill up with days here for House of L, which is a really, really good thing. So that's it for this episode. If you are interested in what happened with NBC and what that was like for me, go back one episode, episode one twenty six. It is all in there for you. You can listen to me talk about it. Uh, I was surprised by it, but not shocked because that's how this industry is right now. And I hold no malice. It was a good time. I really had a great time there. I'll miss it, but there'll be other things for me to do. And I can satiate my creativity by doing stuff here on House of L.
Thanks so much for listening. Shout out to Mina Kimes for being on the pod. That's awesome. Thanks to Mazda of Orland Park for sponsoring us. ZoomZoomNation.com. Go buy a car from them if you're in the market and tell them that you heard about them on the House of L podcast. I'll see you later on this week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.